Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can just feel free to relax, drift off, listen, I guess. I want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and in the studio is a dear friend, Bill Antonio Neal. Did I get that right? That is correct. I kind of messed it up a little bit. No, it's good. (laughs) Bill, I want to start by saying... You were the first person that I contact, contacted when we had the idea for a podcast because you were the only person that I knew who had a podcast. So let me just start by saying thank you. Uh, just even connecting with you and you kind of going through well, how to do a podcast made my life so much easier as a podcaster. So thank you. This show wouldn't I'm be here today. Very touched. Thank yeah. you for saying so. I mean, I, I, there's still so much I don't know about podcasting that I'm still learning. So, and I, I mean, I think that you've probably gone past me at this point. So the student has become the master. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have the master in my studio <laughs> with the student. How's that? It's great. Um, let's talk about your podcast then. Thank you. And yes. I will have them in our show notes for any of our listeners who don't have a pen and paper. They're just chilling at home. We have a lot of listeners who will listen when they get ready in the morning. Oh. Instead, And it's really interesting because it's meant for people to fall asleep to, but they're like, I it know. relaxes me in the morning so I'm not listening to news or whatever. Well, some of us like to wake up in stages, so I always wear sunglasses when I leave the house in the morning, even though sometimes it's not that bright outside. Oh, really? Because it's like sleeping with my eyes open. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I consider them outside glasses, not sunglasses. So I wear those to work. So you ease into your day. Absolutely. Yeah. Visually speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. That's a great tip, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, they have these alarm clocks that won't ring, but they'll light up the room with, with light. Oh. So it'll gradually, the light will gradually get brighter and brighter closer to your wake up time. That's not for me. Okay, <laughs> that fair. wouldn't work for me. Fair enough. <laughs> But your podcast, which was the first po- – I just want to say also as an endorsement, I love your podcast. Thank you very I've much. I've actually learned uh, a few great things from your podcast. That's lovely. Thank and you. And I've been a guest on your podcast. Yes, so, absolutely you have. Which was the first? Uh, Bad Gay Movies was the first. Um, I had that idea for a long time before I finally pursued it. I had wanted to do a podcast for a long time because I had been listening to them for a long time. 
and found out that people could do them quite easily mm-hmm. and that, you know, independent podcasts were possible. And, um, you know, you, you know yourself as an artist. There's always a struggle to get your stuff, stuff made and get it out there. And so when things are possible, you pursue them. Sure. Hence why I started writing plays instead of films and hence why I started a podcast as soon as I could. But I knew that I wanted a subject that was um, very specific because a, a lot of people have podcasts and there's a billion and one movie podcasts out there. And right. A lot of them are wonderful. I don't mean to take away from any of them, but I didn't want to do something that was just the movie of the week. I wanted something that people would get something very specific out of it and that would have a specific audience. Mm-hmm. And also that would be entertaining to listen to and to put together. And so I came up with the idea of doing a podcast focusing on bad gay movies because I've watched many of them. Okay. Um, for a long time I was uh, on the press list for the Inside Out LGBT Film Festival in Toronto. And that's a film festival that focuses on... on LGBT films, yeah. Right. Um, or, or whatever the whole uh, alphabetical assortment is now. Uh, I, Power to everyone. And um, a great, so, I got to mention, it's a great film it's festival. It's a great festival. It has not gotten douchey over the years, no. and I appreciate that about them. And I got to say, too, that Toronto has awesome film festival, whether it's, yeah. you know, TIFF, which is the crown jewel, mm-hmm. to some of the short film festivals. We're very fortunate. Oh, and every weekend there's a different one. I mean, we're probably the world's center for film festivals. Um, and uh, so I'd always have a good time, but. When you're on the press list, you get stacks of screeners, or now you get stacks of links on an Excel sheet with passwords, and um, you watch a lot of movies, and a lot of them are bad. And then I would go to the festival with friends, and I noticed that we would go into a movie knowing it was going to be terrible, and then we we would watch how terrible it was, and then we would have a great time after talking about how terrible they were. Sure. And so I thought there was something in that. And um, and so that's how I, I came up with the idea. And the first two people I thought of said yes, um, uh, which sounds passive. I mean, they they were my first two because they were my ideal choices, okay. which was Mike and uh, Michael Soulard and Daniel Krolik. Daniel Krolik, who mm-hmm. was a guest on our show as yes, well. Yes, of so. course. Yeah. And he and I have been friends for a long time. And uh, he was the very first person I told my idea and he was all for it. And I didn't know at first if I wanted to have a set panel or a a rotating group of people, but I knew I wanted Daniel because I noticed I've known Daniel for like 11 years now. And we talk about movies a lot. We almost always disagree. And I always enjoy talking to him about it. And I thought that's probably better to have on the show than somebody that I agree with all the time. Sure. Even though we turns out we agree more than we thought we did, but we still have a good time. And then Michael, is someone who we make each other laugh in a way that nobody else in my life does. So, you know, it just made a good combination. And they didn't know each other that well before we started. Okay. And um, and they got along like a house on fire. So we, we have a – it's been five years. We have a wonderful time. How wonderful is that? And we should also point out that your podcast is open to anyone. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, not, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, yeah. anyone who likes to laugh. Yeah, I or mean, loves movies or uh, bad the movies. The emails we get are from all, all kinds of people of all walks of life from all over the world. And, um, and there are people who tell us that they watch the movie because of our podcast. So all those directors out there who might be upset that we're insulting your film, you know, there's still money going in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. you're bringing a different kind of focus <laughs> or light to them. Yeah. Now I want to mention your other podcast. Yeah. My Criterions. That's right. 
So that is something I came up with because I don't like free time very much. I do like to keep busy, and um, a lot of my hobbies are just basically my version of knitting. I do like things that keep me alone in a room. Sure, <laughs> it's very sad, um, but not really. As a teenager, I used to collect movie photos in a scrapbook. I have 24 binders of movie photos on my shelf at home that oh, I wow. used to do. Um, and that later became my blog because I write movie reviews online uh, as an amateur. And then, um, Oh, what's that blog? And we'll make sure that we put it it's on. It's myoldaddiction.com. Okay. We're almost at 8,000 reviews on there. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Thank you very much. It capsule reviews, not like in-depth cineast level reviews. But um, I really – I have found at a certain point that I had gotten – maybe uh, someone else can decide if I got good at podcasting. But I certainly got proficient at it. Sure. And um, – and I just I just wanted to do another one, and I wanted to do one that was mostly me, um, because uh, bad game movies is a hard show to coordinate because there's three of us, and we all have lives. We don't do it for money, so we have other priorities. Of course. So getting the three of us to be able to watch a film and then get together to talk about it is challenging, and that's and that's with three of us all being in. You know, like, I don't I have no complaints about. Mike or Dan's uh, devotion to the project at all. So I thought my criterions would be a fun thing to do that would basically be something I could do on my own time, on my own schedule. And again, I wanted to do something movie related, but something specific and not general. Um, and so I, you know, and I, I've been a criterion collector for 20 years and um, I'm madly in love with the collection. They're sort of my Fabergé egg, okay. you know, uh, obsession. I, have been collecting them for that long and have a, a, a vast amount of the movies in the collection at home. We should mention exactly what the Criterion Collection is for people who don't know. So what the Criterion is. Collection is like the Rolls Royce of DVDs. You know, they started out actually in Laserdiscs. They're released by the Janus Film Company, and they are on Laserdisc and then later on DVD. They have a board that basically selects a film to be in the in the collection that they put out in an edition that is like the best image and sound quality they can find with special features that really count and aren't just promotional things the way a lot of DVD features are. Right. And the cover art is always unique and is an an integral part of a Criterion edition. There's always an essay that comes with it. It's like film school in a can. Oh, great. And every one of them feels special. And I don't just say that because sometimes I take them out and dust them with a lot of TLC. Sure. Um, and because of the Criterion Collection, I was also introduced to a lot of the greatest movies that I've ever seen. Oh, wow. In uh, the best, other than in a movie theater, it's the best possible way to see a film. So, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What is the prettiest Fabergé egg in your Criterion Collection? In other words, you talked about the art. Yeah. Which is the one that you're like, I love the art on this one? Oh, that's a good question. Every once in a while I hit one. Yeah. Every once in a while I hit a good question out of the park. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying so many of them are so good. Some of them are bad. The dress to kill one was a disappointment for me. Okay. The Dolce Vita cover is really nice. Right. Um The One for a Special Day, which you were on my episode on, that's a really nice cover. La Ventura is a great cover. I don't know, there's so many of them. That's wow. a hard Black Narcissus is another one that I'm okay. a huge fan of. What yeah. was a film that you discovered from this collection? That oh. is a is a personal favorite now. 
Children of Paradise by Marcel Carnet, Les Enfants du Paradis. Okay. Uh, that one. And there's films I've rediscovered. So I first saw Antonioni's La Ventura when I was a teenager in uh, York University, and I thought it was so boring. I thought Antonioni was so boring. And then years later, Criterion had switched to DVDs, and I started collecting them, and they put out La Ventura, and um, I, uh, La Ventura, and I uh, bought it for the collection, and I thought, it's been a long time. I bet you any money this movie is going to seem different to me now. Okay. Because I've aged, I've, my brain has grown, my appreciation of a more challenging type of film has become more complex. Sure. Um, and I was right, and I watched it, and it's like, probably number two on my top 100 of all time. Number three. I'd say it's number three on my top 100 of all time. Amazing. And Criterion has a lot to do with that, especially given how pristine their edition is of it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing that grabs you when you see a film? Um, it's going to sound hokey, but it's an energy. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to say that it's like an image, but sometimes a movie looks terrible, but there's an in, a way the people interact in it that grabs you. There's a lot of great 70s movies that are very grainy and ugly, and that's mm-hmm. part of their beauty. But they have a, a you know, like like Serpico or something. You know, like they have an energy to them. That's, sure. Well, I mean, that's a beautiful movie. His hats are to die for. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's an it's a pace and an energy, and it doesn't have to be a fast pace. It sure. has to be something where there's just um there's a boldness to the storytelling and. It happens very often that you know from the opening scene that you're going to mm. love a movie. That happens to me a lot. I remember the opening credits of L.A. Confidential. I was like, this is going to be my favorite movie. And really? It, yeah, it's one of my absolute favorite movies. I remember the opening credits to a French film called Delicatessen. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that film was everyone who was in the film, their um, credits were on things. So the editor's name was on a pair of scissors right, yeah. as they as the camera panned through this room that had different the director of photography was on an old camera or some sort of still image and I just I remember watching that and thinking this is brilliant and the film had me from yeah, the very that's beginning. That's a great movie. I haven't seen that in a long time, but he's made very few movies as good as that since. Okay. And yeah, like I loved a very long engagement, but I find most of his films since then have become more obsessed with his quirky sense of visuals, while mm. as with Delicatessen, he was still proving himself, so he had to um, make the story as compelling as his very unique visual style. I also love Delicatessen because the very first time I ever went to the movies by myself downtown was when I was 15 years old, and I went to the Carlton yes. to see Woody Allen's Shadows and Fog okay. um, because Madonna was in it. And it was the only theater that it was playing. And she's in one scene. And I trudged on like a Sunday afternoon. I trudged (laughs) to the Carlton by myself. Um, I used to, my dad used to give me a dollar every day at school to buy something at lunch. And I would always save it because matinees were $5. So I'd use that on the weekend. I've told that story many times. It's my, it's my, it's how I show how adorable I am. (laughs) And, um, and I remember, I still remember like getting off at College Station to find the theater. You know, like I wasn't used to going downtown. Sure. I wasn't working downtown yet. And, and that the, area of the city, back in the day, I remember going to the Carlton. 
it was, I don't want to say it was um, shady, but it had an element of city grit. I wouldn't have say. noticed. I was okay. so, like, wide-eyed and excited. Sure. I wasn't naive. I mean, no one would have been like, hey, take this downtown for me, and I would have done it. But I wasn't, I, 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 everything was romantic about it to me. The point of the story being, I remember the posters that were in the theater the first time I went in there. And it was um, Lars von Trier's Europa, a.k.a. Zentropa, and Jean-Pierre Genet's Delicatessen. One of the beautiful things about the Carlton is that they would play a lot of foreign films. Yes. And there was a time where I was really into going to see foreign films, and I would take some friends of mine. And my friend had a cousin visiting, a younger cousin visiting from, um, I want to say, Vancouver. And I said to him, why don't we go see a foreign film? And he's like, yeah, that's great. I need to do something with my young cousin and whatnot. So I said, well, let's go to the Carlton because I know they play a lot of film, foreign films. And I said, let's go see Paris is Burning because I figured it was a <laughs> film that took place in Paris. Not, it's not a French movie. No, I don't know. It's but not. I still have never seen that. Oh, you it's haven't? one of the most popular documentaries of all time. I don't know why I haven't seen it. I'm not avoiding it. But I remember his, his cousin who mm-hmm. was very young at the time we got in. At the end of the film, her eyes were like wide open. Amazing. But it was a great film. I remember mm-hmm. us walking out and he's like, I thought we were going to see a French film. And I'm like, and, and I think part of the reason we picked a French film to see was because she was studying French and she was at a... Before the internet too, right? Before you could like look something up. I remember going to the Carlton to see Belle de Jour and it wasn't playing that day when okay. they re-released it. And so my friend and I saw Crumb instead. Crumb. The, the documentary about Robert Crumb, which is a very... That's a very shocking movie to see when you're not ready for it okay. and you're 17 and Fair. rather sheltered. But after that first time, I, I mean, I, I started going to the movies every weekend by myself and it was always with the intent of seeing something downtown as much of the Carlton as possible. Sure. I still go to the Carlton. The Carlton has some. It's still great. And it's now it's a rainbow cinema. It's not a cineplex cinema anymore. Right. So they have a lot of first run stuff popular stuff in there as well as the rare stuff but when it was still a cineplex they only played the stuff that played nowhere else yeah and you know like the gay villages around the corner so they've got their demographic set in there with like the the rare and unique artistic stuff sure that we all love so much what bores you in film what's something that you're like oh as soon as this thing happens or you're like uh i find it so boring um a lack of tension okay yeah, again i know that's a pretentious answer but um, I don't have a preference of genre of any kind, um, but there has to be something. I love a, I like, I love a long, slow, um, wordless European art film. Oh, see, um, no, that that's not going to necessarily work for me. <laughs> I do, I do, okay. I do love them, but the usually the good ones are the ones that have a sense of something, a sense of longing or searching hanging in the air. Sure. Um, there's a wonderful movie from Turkey called Once Upon a Time in Anatolia by Nuri Bilge Chilan. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. And it's about three hours long, and um, it's just men driving around looking for where one guy buried a body because he forgot where he buried it. Okay. And it's one of the greatest films ever made. Chilan's movies are all amazing, but I found, by the end of it, I felt like I had searched into a human soul in that film. So... Um, so a movie being physically slow is not a problem, but there are movies where they're not questioning anything. They're just t- they're just using long, slow takes to be pretentious. And um, I think I have a uh, because I've watched so many. I think I have a a good instinct for knowing the difference. But. Sure, sure. And uh, one of the beautiful things about 
any art form is that it can be so subjective, right? So of what, course, what yeah, speaks yeah. to you might not speak to me. Absolutely. I mean, no two people ever see the same film. Right. And um, I never I never personally am willing to get into an argument with anybody about a film. I like discussing things. And if people don't agree with me on a film, I'm always curious to hear why. But I don't know. I have people try to pick fights with me all the time and I don't really get it. Like, I'll just go home and watch it alone. I can live. I sure. guess. <laughs> I but care. there is something. I love to see a comedy in a theater full of people. Absolutely. Because I feel like that experience, when people around you are mm-hmm. laughing and enjoying it, it's infectious and it makes you appreciate the film yeah. so much more. And you know how they have these theaters now that are like, you're in a big comfortable seat mm-hmm. and you can eat and there's like a, ta- a little table between you and the next person. I would never want to see a comedy there because you're so disconnected from everyone around you. Yeah. I mean I've seen I've – like the VIPs are like that and I've seen VIPs. movies in there. I've seen comedies in there. It's, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But we were already sort of being uh, led into that by the stadium-style seating that we have in movie theaters now. Sure. It's also one of the reasons why people talk more in movies and um, use their phones a lot more in movies right. is because the old – like if you go to the Varsity 8, which is an old school theater, it's very gently sloped so that um, when you're sitting in the theater, you do have a sense of everyone around you and it makes you more self-conscious. Mm-hmm. With stadium-style seating, you only have the people beside you. You can't really see – you have no physical sense of the people behind you. Or much in front of you. And it's why people – I think it's also because they're stupid. But there's more people <laughs> who speak in full volume throughout sure. the entire movie because they, they think they can't be heard. OK. So we've mentioned a couple of actual mm-hmm. movie theaters or cinemas mm-hmm. in the city of Toronto. So forgive, forgive us for our international or non-Toronto listeners. But, Bill, that just brings me to ask you this about another specific theater. So the Carlton Movie Theater, mm-hmm. if you're in Toronto and you want to see something different, the Carlton. Yeah. Varsity 8, it's still around, right? The, well, the Varsity is still Varsity. around. Varsity. Yeah. yeah. Now, this one's no longer a theater. It's an event venue. But did you ever see anything at the Eglinton Grand? Absolutely. I loved that theater. I did too. I saw Evita there on New Year's Day, the very first day that it opened. Were you – tell me you were on the balcony. No, I wasn't. Oh, because that's too bad because that would just be poetic. I never sat in the balcony there. The the balcony was my favorite. So it was a Art Deco style theater. It was a – I shouldn't say style. It was a movie theater or cinema Mm -hmm. from that period. Yeah. That last oils over the doors, yeah, yeah. And I saw the original Sunset Boulevard there. They they oh. re- they played it there when the play came to Toronto. Oh wow! And it was a great way to see a movie oh, like I that. Bet. Yeah, I went there a few times, not too much because I didn't live on that side of town. Sure. And they usually played movies I could see closer to home. Of course. But every once in a while we would get out there. I like the Eglinton. I, I loved the York a lot too. Yes, the York is also a great theater that is now an event venue. It is. The I got l- married at uh, the Eglinton Grand. Did you? Really? Yeah, that's where we had a oh, receptionist. Wow. Yeah, um, the York, the last time I was at the York was right before it closed, and I saw The Others, so that was how long ago? Nicole Kidman? Yeah, okay. like 2001, 2002. Wow. I saw that there. What is important to you at an actual cinema? Well, something that no longer exists, which is ushers. Right. Because that's also why people talk and use their phones a lot in movie theaters. Sure. As a teenager, I remember people coming and asking me to put my feet down from the seats. You know, I was an usher. I bet. Way back in the day. Yeah. At the, prom- pardon me, at the Promenade Theater. Oh, I went there once in the 90s. I saw Dragonheart there. That's the only time I ever <laughs> went there. Um other than that, um, I don't know that I'm that picky. A comfortable enough chair okay. and a good 
you know, like a good screen and a good sound system. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly like for a movie theater to have a sense of presentation, you know, but they rarely do. The new ones rarely do. But um, How do you feel about drive-ins? Is it I'm your ashamed thing? to admit oh. I have not been to a drive-in since I was five years old. Okay. And my friend goes to the Oakville one all the time, and sure. I keep saying, let's go sometime, and I just have not gotten it together enough to go. Um, so I, I, I love the idea of it, but in my mind, I, in my mind it's like a scene from Greece or something. Okay. You know, like I don't um, – I would love to do it, but I, it's not something I have any experience of. I barely remember the one time I went, but I remember the film was Firefox starring Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm that old. <laughs> no, it's great. No. Um, now let me shift gears a bit. You're a writer as well, and you've written some plays. A few, yeah. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're sitting down to write a play? No, it comes to mind. What's the first thing you attack? Usually the idea comes in the form of one interaction. So like I see an image of people in a situation – and then I build out from there. That's how all my plays have the ones that have that have I have successfully finished. Sure, have uh, have started that way, with the exception of one, which was my only bomb. So there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. And does cinema inform your playwriting? It does, uh, very much so. Particularly in the way I express my sense of humor. A lot of people tell me it reminds them of um, sitcom television, actually, in a okay. good way. Not a, they don't mean that pejoratively. And I love sitcom television. Um, but I also, by the time I started writing plays, I had been in many of them. And I know that you you need to, um, you, I try to stick to those Aristotelian uh, concepts as much as possible, as much unity of time action in place as possible. So they end up being much further away from movies than, than they start out in my mind because you don't want to changing the scene every three seconds well i have about three seconds to wrap up this episode i want to thank my guest bill and for being here today thank you for having me as always the insomnia project is produced by Drumcast productions and if you happen to be in the waterloo area on friday november 16th you can come to after hours at the library which is a fundraiser for the waterloo public library I will be the special guest speaker so you can hear me and see me live as opposed to just hearing me on this podcast. We want to thank you for listening. We hope you will listen and sleep. <laughs>